This morning we'll be continuing our series through the London Baptist Confession of Faith. Um, as you see, we'll be discussing chapter 10. Or sorry, that should say chapter 14, actually. Uh, that's a mistake on my part. Chapter 14 of Saving Faith. Um, but before we begin, let's open up with a word of prayer. Our Father, we thank you for giving us this, this Lord's Day set apart for our rest and worship of you. Lord, we ask that you would be with us this morning as um, you teach us through the tradition passed down to us. We pray that you would be present in the worship as we hear the word preached, that it would feed our souls and nourish us. And Father, we um, pray for Pastor Nathan, who's out of town. We pray for him and his family for an enjoyable time together and um, for a restful week ahead. So Lord, be with us, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Before we uh, jump right in, we'll kind of want to give uh, an outline, 30,000 feet, just to um, give an idea of what um, we'll be discussing this morning. So paragraph one of chapter 14 um, kind of defines faith, um, but before actually defining it, it prefaces it by saying that faith is always a grace given to us by God, that it's a gift. Uh, And then it explains uh, what the means of such saving faith are. And we'll, we'll discuss that, what, um, what means God has appointed for, for faith. And paragraph two of this chapter goes into uh, the act of faith, and we'll talk about kind of the classic understanding of faith as um, faith in three parts. It's knowledge, assent, and trust. So we'll, uh, we'll see how the confession breaks that down uh, within the, the context of other Reformed uh, confessions. Uh, this, cha- this paragraph also... Um, explains what that aspect of trust looks like. So what does it look like when saving faith is lived out um, in the Christian life? And then paragraph three will um, explain assurance of faith, how that's connected to faith. And we'll actually see this later on, I believe in chapter 18, um, on the chapter specifically on assurance. Um, But it begins to explain that here as it's um, connected to saving faith, of course. And that really assurance is a gift of our faith also. Um, and then in that same paragraph, uh, I'm sure there will be some, some discussion about it, but what is meant by the, word, uh, the words temporary believers? Because um, I can kind of trip people up. What does that mean? Um, what, what is apostasy? Um, but yeah, this is an outline of, of this uh, chapter. But before we begin, um, I have a question for you. So we've already been discussing the aspects of salvation, so effectual calling, uh, justification, sanctification. So why after those things, why does the confession uh, start, seem to go backwards with saving faith? Why does it do that? Any, any ideas there? It was discussed um, in the last couple Sunday schools briefly, but... Well, the, um, the first... Basically, chapters 10 through 18 are explaining the covenant of grace. And the first uh, three or four chapters of that, chapters 10 through 13, are explaining the covenant of grace from God's perspective. So um, how we experience salvation, which has been decreed from eternity past. And here, they're continuing a discussion on salvation for the next few chapters. um, But here, they're explaining it from man's perspective. So how do we experience the benefits of our justification, our sanctification? And it starts with saving faith. That is when we begin to experience those benefits, which God has decreed. 
Um, that's important because we've already discussed previously, you know, what um, the order of salvation is, apart from the history of salvation, why that's important. Um, and we have to keep that in mind here because if, if we see saving faith as, oh, it's the next step after sanctification, that's not what the writers are doing here, that sanctification follows justification, and now they're exploring a, a, the other side of salvation. How do we experience it? So just wanted to clarify that before we begin. Now I'll read paragraph one of this chapter on saving faith. The grace of faith, whereby the elect are enabled to believe to the saving of their souls, is the work of the Spirit of Christ in their hearts, and is ordinarily wrought by the ministry of the Word, by which also, and by the administration of baptism and the Lord's Supper, prayer, and other means appointed of God, it is increased and strengthened. Well, here in this paragraph, we uh, begin by seeing that faith is a grace, as it said, the grace of faith. Faith is not a work. So grace must precede any understanding that we have of faith. It must precede it. It is, it is a gift from God alone. It's not something that we work with God to do. Faith is, is given to us. Uh, we also see in this paragraph that the elect... Um, are enabled to believe on the salvation. They're enabled by the power of the Spirit. Again, it's clear that, um, continuing with previous chapters, um, that our salvation is not a work of our own. It's not a working with God. It is God's work in us. And faith is that means. It's not a work, it's a gift. Ephesians 2.8, uh, if you remember um, several years ago, we went through Ephesians as, as a church, Ephesians 2.8, many of you probably have this memorized. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is a gift from God. So grace precedes faith. It is, it is by faith, it is by grace through faith. It is our faith, not our faith as a work, but our faith as a means through which we receive God's grace and salvation. Uh, here it's clear that saving faith belongs to the elect alone. And this is important because later on in paragraph 3, um, we're, we're going to encounter this, this term temporary believers. And um, they're starting here by um, really tying our faith to, to our election, our effectual calling. Um, so that when we have others who seem to show the outward, uh, the, out, the outward signs of faith, we see that it's not saving faith if they are not elect. Um, but there's no, as, as we'll see in paragraph 3, there's no reason to fear that, oh, maybe I'm not saved. Because it's going to explain that those who have faith um, can know it with assurance. And here we have the, the parable of the sower is in mind, and we'll get to that in paragraph 3 as well. Um, but the different, the different grounds that the seed of the gospel is planted in and, and what fruit is born of that. And of course, if you know the parable of the sower well, only the good ground, which is those who are elect, are the ones who will understand the gospel truly. They will, they will have faith in Christ through their knowledge, assent, and trust of the gospel, and they will produce fruit in the Christian life. Well, then the second half of this paragraph goes into the means by which we receive God's, uh, the grace of faith. Saving faith, as it says, is ordinarily wrought by such and such. And, and that's important wording. Um, 
you're probably familiar with the ordinary means that we speak of as a church. Things like the Word, the Lord's Supper, baptism, and those are some of the means explained um, in this paragraph. So the ministry of the Word, the preaching and proclamation, the public reading of Scripture every Lord's Day is a means by which our faith is, is given, it is increased, and it is strengthened. And the same with these sacraments. The, uh, our baptism and the Lord's Supper are continual, not just reminders, not just outward signs, but they, God does um, give us grace in these sacraments. In the Lord's Supper, we are strengthened in our faith. It's not just a, a looking back at, at Christ's work. And prayer, it, it clearly states that the prayer is an important ordinary means by which God increases our faith in the Christian life. And now here, uh, the, the paragraph ends, or before it ends, it explains that there are other means appointed by God. So we might think of the, the ministry of the word, the sacraments, prayer, those are the, the means God has appointed. So they have in mind the regular principle of worship, which if you recall, uh, previous chapters have kind of hinted at this, but we worship God according to the, the means that he has ordained. And those ways that he ordained are not just strict rules that we, um, we just have to, to stick to for no reason, but those are actually the ways that God has promised to be present in the Christian life and to strengthen us, to give us faith. Um, and that's important. The other means appointed are, are the private things, so private worship. like Prayer can also be a uh, private means, but um, things like listening to worship music. God does not promise that outside of the church that your faith will necessarily be increased, but God can increase your faith through listening to Christian music on the radio station. That's a might seem like a silly example, but today in our, in our modern culture that is often uh, discussed. There's a particular concern for what God has spoken of, what God has promised in Scripture, um, the ways in which he has promised to, to strengthen our faith, um, to give us grace in the Christian life. And again, it doesn't inherently uh, rule out other private means in the Christian life. And we talked about this, I um, forget which chapter it was, but there was one chapter that kind of went into to singing. Um, it actually might not have been a chapter, it might have been a separate Sunday school, but when we discussed the, the regular principle, um, different aspects of, of worship that we are commanded to do on the Lord's Day versus those that we, we have freedom to do outside of that, but we can't say that you must do X, Y, and Z unless God has said so in his word, like the ministry of the word, baptism, the Lord's Supper. Are there any questions? Yeah, Dick. Did you say good works are amazing grace? Sorry? Did you say that good works are means of grace? Good works are a means of grace. No. I would say good works, they're not, they're not a means of grace in which... Um, God has promised that by your good works, your faith will be strengthened. They can be reminders that you do have saving faith. They can be outward signs. But if your faith, um, if we were to say that, that, faith, that your good works are a means of grace, that confuses grace and works, ultimately. Um, but but uh, Sinclair Ferguson talks about this in his book, The Whole Christ, that uh, your works can be a means, uh, can be a reminder which can lead to a strengthen of your, strengthening of your faith. But they are not the source of, of such the grace of faith. So, but that's a good question. It's something that yeah, we should consider. Yeah, yeah, they're in evidence. And, and it can be a reminder um, that um, 
I mean, God's people are known by their love for one another. So there are outward signs and evidences that, yes, these people have saving faith, but it's not the source of that. It's not, it's not a means of grace in that sense. Yeah, I think I think I agree with what you're saying in the, in the sense that that is a grace from God that can strengthen us and strengthen our faith. It's, I mean, our good works are ultimately a result of God's grace. But I, I'd be careful with the wording of of uh, our good works are a means of grace. Just we have to be careful with how we understand works and grace in the Christian life. But yeah, Kim. Absolutely. Yeah, Melanie. Absolutely, yeah. And that's where I think where Dick was pointing out something important, that even our good works are, they are a gift of God as well. So that's, yeah, that's helpful. Uh, and back to what you were saying, Kim, um, that is really a really good point that they, they specifically noted, that there are other means God can appoint in the Christian life to strengthen our faith. And things like testimonies is such a, a beautiful thing that other, many churches don't, they don't, um, they don't have that benefit that we do. We get to hear every member's testimony. And that's, yeah, it's always a reminder of the gospel. It's amazing to see how the gospel's working in the lives of other believers. And, um, and even things like our Bible studies on Wednesday nights or our prayer meetings. Well, I guess you could say prayer meetings. Uh, they specifically note prayer as a means. But our Bible studies, we're not commanded in Scripture that you need to have a midweek Bible study outside of the Lord's Day. But that is still a means by which God can appoint for the giving and strengthening of faith. So, yeah, Dick. To add on to the testimony of uh, big church members, the testimony of martyrs. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, reading reading books about martyrs throughout church history can be one of the, I mean, it can set your soul on fire to, if not serve in ministry, at least support the missionary work throughout the world and really supporting um, the work of, of the Word. Um, in all places. So, well, moving on, um, I'm going to break down paragraph two into two parts because it's a long paragraph. So, we'll look at uh, the first half of paragraph two. By this faith, uh, saving faith, that is, a Christian believes to be true whatsoever is revealed in the Word 
for the authority of God himself, and also apprehends an excellency therein above all other writings and things in the world, as it bears forth the glory of God in his attributes, the excellency of Christ in his nature and offices, and the power and fullness of the Holy Spirit in his workings and operations. And so the Christian is enabled to cast his soul upon the truth consequently believed. So here um, we see what the act of faith looks, looks like in the Christian. So this is, as I mentioned, there's a classic Reformed understanding of faith. This was developed during the Reformation um, using Latin terms. Uh, but this was really to counter the current Roman Catholic claims at the time of what faith is. Um, so they had a completely different understanding of, of faith. So they, they are, some of them at the time argued that you could have faith without knowing it, or you could think you have faith, but you really don't. So uh, really, they separated assurance from the Christian life, but they also separated faith from our object, which is Christ. But this classic understanding, you can remember it by the acronym CAT, K-A-T. We have first, knowledge. So knowledge is that, um, that understanding of, of the gospel, of the promises of God. As the confession says, uh, knowledge um, is when the Christian believes to be true whatsoever is revealed in the word for the authority of God himself. So our knowledge of the gospel, our knowledge of, of God's promises comes from believing that the word of God is true. This is where things like inerrancy and inspiration are important doctrines that we have to believe as Christians. Um, but we believe the word to be the very authority of God. God is speaking to us in the word. And next we have assent. So we don't use this word as much today, but assent is an intellectual affirmation of the gospel. So it's not just knowing it, because even the demons believe that God is real. So it's not just knowing, it's, it's assenting that um, we affirm this. We, um, it's not just a, a knowledge of, of mere, um, mere knowing that 2 plus 2 is 4. It's, it's actually... Well, that's a, that's a bad example, but anyway, assent, um, as they say, is apprehending the excellency therein above all other writings and all things in the world. So it's seeing that um, our knowledge of the gospel is, um, and our belief of God's promises, it's not just that scripture is a book with things that make us feel good. We know that the Bible is was written by God. But it's seeing that it's better than any other writing, that the promises of God are revealed clearly in the Word, but they're not revealed in other places. Um, and then the next step of that, you can't have either of those alone. You have to have trust uh, for true saving faith. And this is where the Spirit works in us to give us a personal appropriation of the gospel. So this is where, as it says, that the Christian is enabled to cast his soul upon the truth, consequently believed. So they believe what is said, they assent to it, they affirm what is said, and then they trust, they cast their souls upon what they believe. And we can't take um, any of the any knowledge, assent, or trust of the gospel as um, things apart from the grace of God. These are all gifts of God. And ultimately, um, we break down faith through these three parts, but the act of faith is really all three of these together, and it's a grace. And here um, we'll look at the Westminster Larger Catechism, question 72, on just what is justifying faith. Obviously, we don't fully affirm the Westminster Standards, but our 
our own catechism, our shorter catech, our catechism is based off of the shorter catechism, and our confession is word for word in many places, including this chapter, on um, based after the Westminster as well. So, what is justifying faith? Well, the Westminster divines wrote that justifying faith is a saving grace wrought in the heart of a sinner by the Spirit and Word of God, whereby he, being convinced of his sin and misery and of the disability in himself and all other creatures to recover him out of his lost condition, not only assenteth to the truth of the promises of the gospel, but receiveth and resteth upon Christ and his righteousness, therein held forth for the pardon of sin and for the accepting and accounting of his person righteous in the sight of God for salvation. So here we see the knowledge of the gospel. We see an assent to the truths of the gospel. And we see uh, that trust is receiving and resting upon Christ through faith. Moving on to the second half of this paragraph, it goes on to explain what trust looks like in more detail. The Christian also acts differently upon that which each particular passage, that's the passage of the word, thereof contains, yielding obedience to the commands, trembling at the threatenings, and embracing the promises of God for this life and that which is to come. But the principal acts of saving faith have immediate relation to Christ, accepting, receiving, and resting upon him alone for justification, sanctification, and eternal life by virtue of the covenant of grace. And here we see in more detail what that trust looks like. Uh, This is what saving faith um, looks like lived out. So what does this trust look like? Well, as we see in this paragraph, Scripture takes ultimate authority in the Christian life. It is the the primary um, source of, of what the Christian is to do and the basis for all things that we do in life. Uh, as it says, the Christian acts differently than unbelievers in response to the scriptures. So it says here, upon that which we act differently upon that which each particular passage thereof contains. So each passage of scripture now bears meaning in the Christian life. Even if it's not a direct application of the Old Testament law in the Christian life, we, we see, we apprehend Christ in the scriptures, who is the object of our faith, first of all. But as it says, we, we yield obedience to the explicit commands of Scripture. We tremble at the threatenings of God uh, when we see them in Scripture, the threatenings of the law, that every Lord's Day when we hear the law read, we are trembling at those threatenings. And yet, it doesn't stop there. We embrace the promises of God for this life and that which is to come. So we embrace the gospel ultimately in the face of the threatenings that we have in the law. And as it says, the Spirit ultimately is the one who leads them to this. So the Spirit leads us to obedience, trembling, and embracing the gospel promises. And as it ends, this is all by virtue only of the covenant of grace. It's not covenant of works. We're not on our own pursuing these things. But that we do all this, we're given all this by virtue of the promise of God and the covenant of grace. Before we look at paragraph 3, are there any questions on paragraph two.
Yeah. I think that's uh, why it's important before we, we looked at it, why we thought about why is saving faith placed after things like sanctification and justification. And here, again, we're turning to the parts, the, the experience of the Christian life. Um, so yeah, that's important. And then on that first point on sanctification, yeah, there's many, most of us can probably relate to um, coming to a uh, conviction in the Christian life much later on. Um, even now, many of us are probably growing in different convictions um, coming to see truth in Scripture that we didn't previously believe. And that's a work of the Spirit in our sanctification that's ultimately worked through faith. So, yeah. Yeah, Kim. question under the uh, classic Reformed uh, definition of faith Yeah, that's, um, that's where, I think for me as well, a better understanding of Latin would help because there, there are specific Latin definitions. Because um, our understanding of assent is, is not just knowing, but aff- affirming. I think affirming is probably the best way we can um, distinguish knowledge and assent. Um, but it's not just, I, I think the way they would describe knowing is being made aware of something. And um, so being shown... The word of God. We know the word of God exists, maybe. So that'd be knowing. We know what the gospel says. Ascent is knowing that it's true. So I think you can actually argue that when Scripture says that in James that the, even the demons believe, I think the demons, you can argue, they actually assent to it, but they don't trust because um, they know that it's true. Um, so, well, that's also up for debate, I guess, but... Yeah, yep. I know it. Yes, yep. You know it, yep. Um, but then I'm like, no, I, yeah. I believe it. Yep. Is that part of the ascent, or is this now starting to trust? Yeah, well, I think that's where the word, even belief, can mean multiple things. Um, faith can, I mean, what type of faith do we have? What type of belief do we have? But, um, yeah, there's a, the main difference there is, is being, like like you said, you could maybe you're raised in a, a church, you know what the gospel is, but you don't believe it to be true. And even some who believe it to be true, they don't actually trust uh, the Lord Jesus Christ in their hearts. They they might be people that are in a church, for instance. So they, um, as far as we know, they they believe the gospel is true, but they don't show any actual repentance, any trust of God. They don't bear any fruit in the Christian life. So I'd say the difference there with Knowledge and assent is is not just belie- uh, not just knowing it, but believing it to be true. Um, yeah, Dick. Thank you, Pastor. Um, I'm 
It's just a book written by men. Yep. Yep. Yeah, that's helpful. And even um, in the paragraph, it states that um, maybe it's in the first half. Let's see. But that um, they believe it above all other writings. So I, I think that's part of the ascent there. That it's not just any writing of man, but they believe scripture above all other writings, that they, they believe it's true. It's not just any other book that you can point to. Yeah, Melanie? In Hebrews, it talks about the rest of God. Mm-hmm. And that's not when they, when they came out of Absolutely. Yep. You no longer are trying to, to earn your salvation. You're fully resting on Christ. And only then can you actually um, put forth trust to where good works are born out of you. Because if you're always working for your salvation, you're not producing real fruit. Yeah. All right. Let's look at the third paragraph now. So, paragraph three. This faith, although it be in different stages and may be weak or strong, yet it is in the least degree of it different in the kind or nature of it, as is all other saving grace from the, from the faith and common grace of temporary believers. And therefore, though it may be at many times assailed and weakened, yet it gets the victory, growing up in many to the attainment of a full assurance through Christ, who is both the author and finisher of our faith. Amen. Well, here we, we see assurance of faith really hinted at um, in, uh, very briefly. But there's this term, temporary believers. Um, here, again, their, um, one of their main proof texts was the parable of the sower. Benjamin Keach, who was a Reformed Baptist uh, writer, contemporary, um, he's really helpful on this, um, this idea of what temporary believers are. So in his commentary on the parable of the sower, he explains what a temporary believer is contrasted to a a real believer with saving faith. So these temporary believers, as it says in the paragraph, they have the common operations of the Spirit. What does that look like? Well, this refers to the stony ground in the parable of the sower. So um, the seed is cast, but it has, has no good soil for it to grow roots in. It will ultimately... It won't produce good fruit in the end. So they have a general faith, according to Keach. So this is a mere understanding. This is what we talked about. They have a, uh, an understanding, and they even some of them assent to the gospel, but they don't um, trust God um, in their faith. So again, this is knowledge and assent, but a lack of trust, a lack of true trust. And part of that might be, as Melanie was saying, that they, um, 
they're not resting, that they're continuing to, to work. Or even some of them just think that, well, if it's true, they're antinomian. They don't think they have any response. They don't need any response to uh, God's grace. And ultimately, it shows um, that there's no true brokenness of their heart. Keach says, they believe that they must be changed, but are not changed by believing. I think that's really pithy, but it's a really helpful way of, of uh, describing what a temporary believer is. That they, they believe they must be changed by the gospel, by the spirit, and yet they believe and they're not changed themselves. So they're hypocrites, ultimately. Um, so these temporary believers, they also have a temporary zeal for the externals of the Christian life. So even things, evidences to us that might be of, of their, their trust, um, again, is it, is it merely external? That's what Keech is getting at. So they're outwardly and civilly good. And ultimately, this is, um, you know, today we, we think of, you know, we're, we're no longer in a Christian culture, you could say. I mean, that's... Uh, or at least, if we're in a Christian culture, it's fading really fast. And uh, I believe it was Carl Truman. He wrote an article a while back on on missing living in a Christian culture. And his point was that we have many Christians who are they're just glad that we don't live in a Christian culture anymore. So you know the the true Christians from the false Christians. But he made an interesting argument that um, for Christians, maybe it's um, Maybe we shouldn't mourn the loss of a Christian culture because at the very least, these temporary believers, they're outwardly and civilly good, which um, though leads to many, there are many hypocrites in churches. The church itself has more freedom to preach the gospel. Um, there's more outward and civil good for the world at the very least. Um, but that's just, that's a minor, minor point there. But these temporary believers, his point is, um, they're, they're more good than, than a total nihilist, you could say. And these temporary believers, finally, they find some sense of earthly, and even some of them eternal joys, but usually from a heart of self-gain. So they might understand that, or they might think that, oh, God has given me the grant of eternal life, and yet their, their want of eternal life could be from a heart of, of self-gain, that they're, they see it all in terms of what can I gain from, from salvation, which is ultimately legalism, that... Um, your faith is based on earning something alone. So ultimately, in contrast to these temporary believers, true believers have a faith with real assurance. And as the paragraph says, um, if they don't experience that full assurance now, Christ will perfect, he will finish their, their faith in the end, and they will experience the full assurance. So it's not a constant or unchanging. As it says, it can be weakened or assailed in the Christian life. But assurance is an essential benefit of faith in Christ. You can't separate your assurance of salvation from your faith in Christ. If you have faith in Christ, you have assurance in him. He is all that you need. So it says assurance is in different stages, and it may be weak or strong. So to say that, well, if you have no assurance, you're not a believer, that's wrong. But if you say that you have faith, but you can never have assurance, well, that's Roman Catholic error, that... There's no such thing as assurance in the Christian life. But there is. There is. And some of us may experience that now. And that's, that's a benefit that we're promised in Christ. And it ends by reminding us that Jesus, he will ultimately complete our faith. That the gospel promise, it includes our assurance. I mentioned this book earlier. Um, 
Well, again, we'll be discussing assurance in chapter 18, um, which is on the assurance of faith. But if you haven't read this, I can't recommend it enough. I return to it probably once a year at least. Um, Sinclair Ferguson's book, The Whole Christ, Antinomianism, Legalism, and Gospel Assurance, Why the Marrow Controversy Still Matters. This is probably one of the best books you can read on the Christian life, if not the best. Um, and it del- uh, Sinclair Ferguson delves into what saving faith uh, looks like in terms of our response to God's laws in Scripture, um, what it looks like, um, what, what assurance looks like in the Christian life. And it's a book that when you walk away, I, I am 90% certain that if you walk away reading it, um, you, you will be strengthened in your own faith. You will be given assurance because he reminds us how central assurance is to the gospel. And it's a really encouraging book. It's been a book of the month here. I wouldn't be surprised if it's a book of the month again. Um, it's a great book. I believe the um, previously, I think women at the church did a Bible study on this book um, several years ago. Um, but it's, yeah, it's an excellent book. Can't recommend it enough. Well, that's um, running out of time here. But before we, we conclude to prepare us for worship... And to tie all this together, what does our faith look like? What does it mean to find assurance? Uh, the writer of Hebrews um, helps us here. Hebrews 10, 19-25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Well, may this prepare us to enter God, to enter the holy places uh, by the blood of Christ to find full assurance in him. Well, before we prepare for worship, are there any final questions in that last paragraph? Yeah, Sam. So, when the confession talks about the guarantee of our Yeah, yeah. So you're asking, is our assurance a promise of this life or the next? Yeah, so they would say our assurance is a promise of this life, although many Christians are in different stages. Um, And they're really trying to tie the centrality or show the centrality of assurance to faith. Um, Because it was Catholics at the time that, that taught you can't have assurance in this life. You can never know until the end if you're safe. So they would say that assurance is a promise of this life, but they, that's where they kind of uh, note that it, it can be weakened or assailed at times. There are going to be times where we don't, don't feel assured. We have doubts. And many of these same writers would also say that if you have no doubts, you might not even be a Christian if you don't go through those times of, of suffering and trial that leads you to, to um, less assurance at times. But their point is that Assurance is a promise in this life. You can have assurance by your faith in Christ. And we're going to see more of that in chapter 18. It's a great chapter. Um, 
And there's even a, there's a debate, the Marrow controversy, which is what Fer, uh, Sinclair Ferguson's book is about. Um, that was a controversy over that very topic. What is the marrow of the gospel? And is assurance part of that marrow? Is, it, is assurance really part of uh, the Christian life? And uh, there's, there's particular wording. I think it's in the Baptist Confession as well. But in the Westminster Confession, it speaks of assurance being of the essence of saving faith. Or maybe not of the essence, but what does that mean? I, I can't remember. But they would, they would all agree that our assurance is a promise of this life. So that's a great question. And we're going to go into that more. But yes, if you have faith in Christ, you can have assurance. Like To all who are here who believe in the gospel, assurance is yours in Christ. And they, that's one of the points they're trying to make. Yeah, amen. Before we close in prayers, is there anything else? All right, well, let's, uh, let's prepare our hearts for worship, going to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we, we praise you and adore you for who you are. Lord, we thank you for the faith that you've given us, the grace of faith, as we learned Father, we pray that you would strengthen our faith this day through the ministry of your word. And although we will not be partaking of the supper, we know that through the word and through prayer, you have promised to be present. And even in our fellowship, um, as we we await the day drawing near. So Lord, we pray that you'd be present with us, strengthen our faith, equip us for trials and sufferings that no doubt we'll face in the coming week. And Father, we pray that you would give us the assurance of faith that you promised. Help us to attain the full assurance as spoken of in Hebrews. Help us to take Christ for who he is and all of him. Not just faith on its own, but faith that comes with assurance of believing. So Father, we pray that you would prepare our hearts to stay for your word, to obey your word, to tremble at threatenings, and yet to ultimately... Cling to Christ in the gospel promise. It's in his name we pray. Amen.